0: Cafe. World is full of wonders, Fade Walker. T, the Fade Cafe. Oh,
1: sneaky Son of a 3G. The Fade Cafe.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Fade Cafe podcast. I'm Cafe 3G, he him, and I'm Uni Fade Walker also he him. And we got a lot to talk about today. Yes, we are going to go over the last 3 episodes of Dragon Age Absolution. But there's something else that we want to talk about because it's just kind of broken in the last week, which is Wizards of the Coast's new OGL 1.0. What are they calling it now? Is it 1.1 or 2.0 they're calling it? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, basically what it is is uh, back in the year 2000, Wizards released a thing called um, the Open Game License. And the idea behind it was uh, to allow content creators and other companies to use the systems that Dungeons and Dragons put into place for their own. Businesses and for their own uses and so content creators and people who had other ideas could build their own custom game modules they could build their own custom campaigns and they could indeed profit off of them. Um, So we had companies like, for example, Kobold Press and Paizo who came out with their own systems. They came out with, uh, for example, Paizo had Pathfinder that they released, which I believe was based off of Dungeons and Dragons 3.0. And they were allowed to flourish and it worked super well for about 20 years. It wasn't a perfect license. And so Wizards of the Coast decided they were going to update it. And from there, the trouble began.
1: Yeah, pretty much. What they are saying is that I think it's if you earn a certain amount um, using any of the, the D&D game or um, like monsters or anything that they have underneath um, their copyright. then they can then take a small amount of royalties from, um, from you, no matter who you are, which has obviously caused an uproar in the community because a bunch of people do stream and uh, do make their own homebrews and stuff. And now they can't just enjoy their games anymore. They're now being uh, siphoned for money from a big corporation, which, of course, is People kick off on social media,
0: so there's been yeah a lot of a lot of pushback on social media. A lot of people have been very rightfully extremely upset about it. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't go through the entire text and tell you the legalities of anything. Um, I do follow some other lawyer podcasts and some other lawyer shows. Very notably, Opening Arguments, which is a big lawyer show uh, in the U.S., and um, Legal Eagle have both come out with their own content, basically saying this isn't nearly as terrible or terrifying as everyone seems to think it is some of the provisions like the royalties provision are completely unenforceable nevertheless it's still extremely scary for a uh, a very large company that makes a large amount of money to basically come down and say hey if you create your own content we own it now to be to be clear this is also the same thing that for example facebook instagram and tiktok have actually come out and said, where if you do create your own content on those platforms, there are provisions in the user licenses that say you are automatically giving those companies a license to use your content without your consent. It's basically an update of that. It's still not good. And uh, we shouldn't have companies coming out and basically saying, hey, you that are doing free marketing for us, we now own all of your free marketing content. It's not good.
1: Part of the thing that people were really offended about was obviously like uh, Dungeons and Dragons has been around since, what, the 80s? And it was always um, something that was played in either basements or, you know, like the back room or something by nerdy guys with their nerdy friends. But recently, because of these um, communities, these um, like things like Critical Role and uh, the Adventure Zone, because of stuff like that, because of the community, it, it has now flourished into the popular game that it is. And now suddenly, what is it, Hasbro? Hasbro is the, yeah, the, the yeah. main company. So now suddenly Hasbro are seeing that there is like, money to be made and now want to profit off of it. And that I think is what people have taken offense to, because it's the community that built them up to where they are in in in, in the scale of, of um of Dungeons and Dragons, um, obviously, like the Hasbro have other things. Um, It's Wizards of the Coast as well that were were involved in this um, specifically. Um, So I think an awful lot of people from the community took umbrance at the fact that they were now being, like I said before, siphoned for money Mm -hmm. when it was them that helped get Dungeons and Dragons up to the, the level of popularity that it can be Um, that you you can make money off of it now, do you know what I mean? That it is a a lucrative commodity. But a a thing like Dungeons & Dragons, with its um, diverse um, creativity, the things that that the community brings to Dungeons & Dragons should not be... Um, Not threatened, I don't think it's threatened in any way but I think people felt threatened by it I don't think people felt appreciated by um, this um, license and that's why people were so, so up in arms about it on social media
0: And it's important to note that uh, I believe somebody had uh, uh, mentioned, and I believe it was James Stephanie Sterling had said that Hasbro's stock price had dropped just slightly and their market cap is a lot lower than it has been in the past. And so they're looking at ways to increase revenue because, as we know, companies aren't about making some money. They're about making all of the money. So. Them going to wizards and basically saying, "Hey, we we want to generate some more revenue, and here is a way. It's a lucrative property that we have, and we can make more money on on it. Um, that that could be one of the reasons why they're going about and doing this as well. I think it is important to note that um, one of the things that D D has said that they we're trying to do is they are trying to curb the ability for bad actors within the community i say the community but these are people outside of the community like for example we had star frontiers which came out earlier this year there was a big uh, uh legal battle between wizards of the coast and star frontiers because star frontiers is created by i believe it was gary gygax's son who's a terrible human being and they have like a bunch of terrible like racist coded things and uh, oh, in no. that game oh it's awful absolutely awful And uh, there was a big fight between Wizards of the Coast and the company that made um, uh, Star Frontiers. And I believe, if I remember right, and I could be reading that wrong, that the OGL was getting in the way of that, that they were using the OGL Mm. as a shield. So it did need to be updated. And we did need to have some more uh, inclusive language built into the OGL anyway, so that we didn't have these bad actors doing it. And on top of that, earlier this year, there was also another company that had created a bunch of nfts based on the dnd license which again is a violation of their trademark but because of the ogl was also stopping uh wizards of the coast from um going after them in the, again my understanding of of uh and this is this is wizards of the coast's argument on it um so with those in mind if those are true then maybe there is there is an argument to be made that the ogl does need to be updated but perhaps not in this way where they are basically screwing the entire Dungeons and Dragons community over by trying to uh, by trying to do this. Now, in response to that, Paizo has come out and responded with their own open license, which is the Open RPG Creative License, which they say is not something that they own. It's not owned by anyone, in fact. It, it is built to be system agnostic for independent game publishers under the legal guidance of Azora Law, an intellectual property law firm that represents Paizo and several other game publishers. And uh, basically, it's uh, uh, it's not just Paizo that is signed on to this. It's Paizo, Cobalt Press, Chaosium, Green Ronin, Legendary Games, Rogue Genius Games, and tons and tons of other publishers that have all signed on to the ORC. And hopefully uh, more, more and more companies uh, sign on to that as we have more... Um, as you said, the the community is the whole point of tabletop gaming. It's the foundation upon which all tabletop gaming is built. And we need to have a healthy system in place to protect all content creators and all of the people that are creating things to help uplift everyone in the TtRPG space. So, Um, It is also important to note that um, Wizards of the Coast has come out and said, look, we're going to roll this back. The royalties thing isn't going to be a part of it anymore. We are going to be uh, maybe releasing a new OGL. Nobody knows the details of that just yet, but we'll have to see. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> i think it's fair that they take it back and just tweak it a little bit if they need to do things to like protect themselves from people who are who are misusing their content then fine i, I can respect that and um, i also respect that i technically yes they are still a business and they still need to you know like make a profit but at the same time i really like just to be like a little bit of like um not a dick about it or anything, but I loved that they put forward this OGL and Paizo was literally like, well, you you do that and wreck yourself. We'll do this. You remove. <laughs> and we're just like, <laughs> sit back and watch. As, as, as the chaos and,
0: ensues and the flames erupt. I know it's great. Yeah.
1: Literally. It was I was just sat there watching it unfold being like, what will actually happen? So we'll see what happens. When last I saw it, it was 1.1. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see if they're going to bring out a 2.0, if it's not already out, and how they're going to tweak it. And then we'll we'll take it from there. Right. Um, it would be nice to see the community um, taken into consideration, especially small content creators, and especially like people like me. I am a, a GM, a DM, and I exclusively homebrew my stuff. And um, the only thing that I take actually from D and D is like the base rules so like the character sheets and all of that kind of stuff I don't I would like to homebrew stuff like that but it's just easier if everyone plays on the same system and everybody likes to roll a d20 do you know what I mean everyone loves the thrill of getting that natural 20 Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly Um, it would be really nice if people like me who do homebrew stuff for their players don't have to worry about um, later down the line if I do stream it on Twitch for my community for example I'm not going to get pulled up about copyright or like I, I owe them royal or something just because I said, I don't know, beholder. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> which is which is one of the things that they wrote into the um
0: the OGL 1.1 was that things like beholder, this character, this type of character, this type of character, yeah. this type of system. And My understanding is you can't copyright game rules because game rules are supposed to be things that everybody uses. So and there's a lot to be said about how a a lot of this stuff is is completely unenforceable.
1: It's still sucky that we have this company that thinks that this is okay. (laughs) Yeah, Like, are they going to start? Because I know a bunch of my friends are artists and they make uh, stickers on Etsy. And, and they're like, uh, you know, like like little badges that say, um, beware the DM that smiles or something. Like, is that going to be copyright? Is the D20 going to be copyright? Like, I'm in the middle of making D20 stickers for my Etsy store with like LGBT flags on them. Is that going to be copyright? We need to know, like, to what extent small creators like myself can still use the d d not logos, but things associated and affiliated with D&D mm-hmm. without getting into trouble. That That's what I, I want to know.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, and it's, it's important to remember that, like, Dungeons & Dragons isn't the only thing in the TTRPG space. There are so many other systems, and I feel like this has been a great catalyst for people to discover those other systems. Because mm-hmm. we're seeing a large number of people anecdotally cancelling their uh, D&D Beyond subscriptions. To the point where Wizards of the Coast basically were like, let's maybe hide that web page for a while to make sure people can't do that. And then realizing that could get them into a lot of legal trouble. Uh, So especially in the UK where there are very specific laws about this kinds of thing. Um, yes, there
1: are. And just to be a little bit Scottish, let me teach you a Scottish phrase. <laughs> so like in Scotland, we would say, and um, the D and D community literally sent the shiters, They put the shaiters up <laughs> wizards of the coast and they were like, Oh no, maybe we shouldn't do this. So um, it worked. It, it, it somehow worked. Mm-hmm. Everybody was canceling their D and D beyond subscriptions, which to be honest, I didn't use D&D Beyond anyway, so I just kind of like sat back and watched it happen. I prefer paper. I'm very traditional when it comes to my character sheets. I love pen and paper. Mm -hmm. Nothing is better. But um, yeah, I just sat back, watched it happen, watched everybody report it. And and yeah, within like, what was it like? Within a week or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
0: think the news broke on like, uh, what was it? One week from us recording this, which is like Monday the 9th, is uh, is when it dropped. So from there... All the way up until, you know, this past weekend, people have just been, it's just been growing and growing and growing this, this massive, massive backlash against this. And we'll, we'll have to see whatever, like you said, whenever 2.0 comes out, we're going to, we're going to see what it is. We're going to evaluate it. And we're going to say whether or not we want to keep this system. And and we, as content creators are basically going to go, yeah, maybe we can move away from D and D or uh, maybe we can move to another system. Personally, I hope more people start using dread because it's awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, my heart honestly broke right there when you were like maybe we can move away from DD, and i'm just like ah, ah, no, D&D. Know, and you know what's really
0: sad is that like the 5e system is actually really good and it's so easy to learn at least in my opinion like i remember the first type of dungeons and dragons the first type of ttrpg i learned was uh a D&D. So I'm talking about like, you know, the FACO scores and all of this really complicated nonsense that like almost turned me off of playing D&D. And it wasn't until 5.0 came out that I was playing it and I was going, oh, no, this actually kind of makes a lot of sense. This is pretty easy to it's it's so much easier to calculate these scores. It's so much easier to level up. It's so much easier to do this and this and this. And it's so much more customizable. You're seeing a lot more people. Again, with the OGL, we've been seeing so many people taking that system and running with it. We have those you know, campaigns set in modern day. We have campaigns set in space. Um, we don't have people Literally. just using this for that uh, uh, medieval fantasy type settings. They're, they're using it for other things. Um, now, there was some speculation that uh, the new OGL would affect other... Uh, People within the video game space and we don't know if that is going to be the case we do know that like for example Bioware has used the um, uh, They have used the OGL and they have used Wizards of the Coast's systems for previous RPGs Neverwinter Nights Baldur's Gate back when they were making those games and we don't know if that would affect any of those previous games because in the 1.1 that was released it did say any past content or future content. So it was kind of up in the air.
1: It's really interesting that you point out Dragon Age as well, because Dragon Age Origins is literally their take on on Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. Like they were told, I think they pitched for a Dungeons & Dragons game and they didn't get it. So they were told just to go off and make their own version of a Dungeons and Dragons game which is why your um, hero Ferelden like that when you level them up they have all of those like different like uh, skill traits and sub, sub skills and they've got like strength and dexterity or something like that I can't remember because it's literally their version of Dungeons and Dragons and just for the record 5e is elite. Like I swear by 5e and whenever I'm making any homebrew campaign, whether it's like you say, in space, modern day, medieval, it doesn't matter. I will always utilize 5e. It is so easy to use and so easy to customize. It's so nice. I learned Dungeons and Dragons on Pathfinder. Mm. um, So like 3.5 or something like that. And I hated it. And it's not because it's bad. It's just because it's too much for my brain to process, especially because I'm almost certain that I have like ADHD or something. I can't process that much information. And like my turn was broken up into so many things when really I'm just like, I want to swing from the chandelier. And they're like, Well, you can't. You've only got one thing to do and you breathed and now your turn is over. And I'm like, but <laughs> yeah. have you ever played well, Starfinder I've- by any chance? Um, I, I there was one that I, I played and I can't remember if it was Starfinder, but it was set in space and it, it, it worked um, purely on d 6s is it the same thing
0: no i i'm not sure what that one is but starfinder is basically um it, it's basically pathfinder in space it's uh. pathfinder 1.0 but set in space and all of the stats are turbocharged so you have stuff like when you roll a d20 let's say you get a 15 well plus all of your bonuses that to dexterity well you just rolled a 64 and it's yeah. like a ton of math but I had a lot of fun with it personally, and I kind of hope that, you know, because of all of this backlash, more people start discovering the Starfinder system because it is really unique, and it is a really, really fun campaign setting. Um, And, oh my gosh, there's so many different races that you could choose with their own, like, weird little quirks and so many different like classes that are just really
1: unique. Like sharpshooter is really cool. And (laughs) they've got like a a couple of fancy fan. I'm I'm down for the the whole gun gunslinger thing. Honestly, exactly. Like, um, I like how diverse all of the different versions of Dungeons and Dragons are and I like that you can just um, cherry pick what you like. You don't even have to play the whole of 5e. If you like things from Pathfinder, if you like things from 5e, then you can like fuse them together and just kind of like cherry pick all of the things that work for you and your your players. That's the thing that makes D&D so good is that it's, personal it's personalized to you your experience and your players and if you play dungeons and dragons you know what that personalized experience is like there's nothing like it mm-hmm. honestly as um as i as i've i've um built my own home brews and as i've been a player um it, it, i i can't explain just, if you haven't tried d d consider trying Dungeons & Dragons, guys. It's really cool.
0: <laughs> it's a really cool game. You know what really, really frustrates me, too, is that Dungeons & Dragons movie with Chris Pine actually looks really good. And I want to see ha- it really bad.
1: I haven't had, I, I'm too scared to look at it in case it's really bad. But if you say it's really good, I'll have a look at the trailer and just see. But... It I'm looks reserving. really
0: campy and really funny and like they're not taking themselves super seriously like a D&D
1: campaign.
0: The, the whole that, vibe. I the, can. Yeah.
1: I can vibe with that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That I can vibe with. That's fine. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. see. So uh, we know that movie
0: is supposed to be coming out at some point this year. I don't have the release date in front of me, so I'll have to look at it later. It's
1: licensed, and And it is licensed. (laughs) Copyright.
0: It is licensed. It is an actual licensed property by Wizards of the Coast. And it looks fun, and it's frustrating because we know that's going to be coming out, and now all this negative backlash to uh, uh, to Dungeons & Dragons is going to get the TTRPG community, who was on board with it in the past, look, side-eyeing it, looking at it like, nah, I don't know. I don't know, this could be something that maybe we don't wanna we don't wanna see. We just wanna pass on it. But I hope that's not the case. I hope that it is really good and I hope that we're actually able to see some positive change from this. And we're already seeing a lot of positive change from other makers yeah, within so the space. So
1: absolutely. So we'll I hope that only positive things come out of this. Um and I hope that we can, as a community, work with Wizards of the Coast for reference and i don't know if this means anything to anyone but um there, there is like a cuz obviously Wizards of the Coast is an american company there is a, a an affiliate um company in the uk that i personally work with and they send me a couple of things every now and again and sometimes like they'll comment on my cosplay um tiktoks just because they're lovely and they sent me a christmas card and like a magic the gathering card for my christmas so the people that i deal with directly are genuinely lovely people and i'm not saying that that excuses a big co- corporation from doing things not at all but i just wanted to say a huge shout out to the little people at wizards of the coast who have been nothing but lovely to me thank you very much and thank you for my christmas card and thank you for um not that you guys did it directly but thank you for reviewing your license wizards of the coast thank you We appreciate it. Seriously, shout out to
0: all of the people that have been working at Wizards of the Coast and dealing with so much hell this past week because we've been seeing just the worst people on the Internet go after just people who have no way of making any kind of decisions. It's like walking into a department store and yelling at the employee over a price.
1: They don't have any control over that.
0: They're yeah, are just telling
1: it like a paycheck. <laughs> poor lady behind the perfume stand as if like she owns the building, bless her. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, calm yeah. down,
0: mate. I know, I know. People just just <sighs> Let's wait until we get more information. Once we get more information, yes, yes, the public backlash is important, but make sure you're targeting the right people. Let's wait until we get more information, and hopefully OGL 2.0 is something that we can all be at least content with. Perhaps not happy with, but content at least with.
1: We got a lovely statement from Critical Role, though, about it. We did. Which I thought was really nice. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely did. Because I was really worried about that. Obviously, as someone who cosplays Critical Role characters, I was like, "Am I not allowed to like cosplay Percy or Vax now? Like, what do I do? Like, uh, is this still okay?" But Critical Role have made it very clear. Like, Critical Role will always support creators and game development into ta- in the tabletop space. We stand by our industry peers as well as anyone who takes a risk creating a new system and developing. An original idea, which is a fantastic thing to say for people like me who homebrew. The beauty of gaming comes from the opportunity to share inclusive, diverse and compelling stories from a wide spectrum of creators. That's exactly why we launched our own game publishing company a few years ago, because we believe that broadening the field of creators boosts the entire industry, which is another fantastic thing for them to say, and I really appreciate that they um, take that into consideration. And then they go on to say the success we have experienced is thanks to the passion and interest of the greater tabletop community. And we commit to fostering an environment that allows everyone the opportunity to easily share the stories they wish to tell. And that is the fundamentals of Dungeons and Dragons. So that statement for me is A grade, A++. Thank you, Critical Role. Also, Critical
0: Role stands to be somebody who would lose a lot if this OGL 1.1... Uh, goes through because uh, and i mean that's assuming that they don't already have deals with wizards of the coast already because they are the biggest player in uh, the 5e space i'm glad that we have these people um able to uh, uh to represent us in the community and actually are um are standing up for the smaller creators because as they've seen people who are creating content of theirs they're creating fan content of critical role are part of the reason why crit role is
1: has become as big as it is uh today absolutely and matthew mercer is um one of my dm inspirations that because like when i was learning uh the game people who had been playing the game before were giving me like we could do this campaign we could do this campaign you don't have to worry about anything we just run the campaign that's already pre-made but it was matt that was like what if i made my own story. Do you know what I mean? Like he he put that idea in my head. Like what if I wrote my own campaign and used 5e as like the fundamental base rules? So I have a like I have I have a real soft spot for Matthew Mercer. Um and the fact that um critical role is on um the community's side regardless of what they earn and regardless of what they would lose, that means a lot to me personally. So um I hope that um like I said earlier, only positive things will come from this.
0: Are you excited for Legend of Vox Machina this weekend?
1: I am so excited for Legend of Vox Machina. I need... (laughs) I need to revamp my Percy cosplay and bring it back for The Legend of Vox Machina season 2. I've been sharing it like a mad person on Instagram. My Instagram story has pretty much just been Vox Machina like previews and stuff the whole of last week. So I'm really excited. I cannot wait. It's on It's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? it yes.
0: Uh, at least in the US it's Prime. on Amazon Prime, yeah. It's
1: on Amazon Prime for me too. That's fantastic. No, I've still got Amazon Prime. Netflix is a little bit of a problem right now because Netflix has made you know, like, um, sharing uh, your Netflix outside of your own house now like illegal or something. So um, I had to drop off Netflix for a while. There can't afford everything. Um, So we're prioritizing um, Amazon Prime right now for Mm -hmm. Vox Machina. So I'm excited. Yeah,
0: I can't wait to watch it this weekend and maybe we'll talk about (laughs) it in the next podcast. But hell yeah! speaking of amazing animated shows, we actually have another show that, uh, yes, it did come out in December, but we are still talking about it because it is the most recent piece of content that has come out for Dragon Age. And that is... Dragon Age Absolution, and when last we left this entire conversation about Dragon Age Absolution, um we uh we had just finished uh, uh uh recapping episodes 1 2 and 3 which leaves episodes 4 5 and 6 and uh ed if you're ready we can start diving into the lore of some of those episodes kind of dive into what happens in those episodes and um and yeah we can kind of break it on down
1: we are so ready <laughs> like i've I've got a cup of tea. I just want to put in a quick disclaimer that I do. I am feeling a little bit unwell. So if I sound out of breath, it's because I am. <laughs> but we'll deal with it. It's absolutely fine. Um, I'm going to wear myself out on this lore. Here we go. I'm so ready.
0: That's right. Both of us have got our drinks of choice. We've got our Dorian plushies ready. We're both wearing We're
1: both our Dorian We're both wearing sweaters. our Dorian hoodie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys could see us right now, we are the biggest pair of Dorian fanboys. We've both got our Dorian hoodies on, we've got our Dorian plushies, and we're just sat here ready to talk about Tevinter and blood magic. Let's go! Let's heckin' go! (laughs) All right. (laughs) Dragon Age Absolution,
0: Episode 4. Those who falsely dream. The team encounters Razarin, who attempts to stop them from escaping. Miriam fights his lackey while the rest of the team gets whooped by Razarin, who basically incapacitates everyone with what looks like, to me, crushing prison. I believe that's the spell that he's using.
1: That is the spell it looked like to me as well, crushing prison.
0: Love it. Mm-hmm. Miriam discovers that the lackey is actually the reanimated corpse of her brother, Neb. My god! I shouldn't laugh at that. It's really, really
1: depressing, honestly. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. How dare we... <laughs>
0: Yeah, Rez is basically, his entire goal is to bring Neb back. The team is able to escape, but in the process, Miriam is hurt by an arrow. Rez and Tasia learn about the dragon. The dragon is awake. They now have a prisoner. Uh, and we also learn that Miriam was indeed Rez's family's slave. He says, raised as siblings. And we're going to put a pin in that, and we'll talk about that later.
1: Yes, we will.
0: Rez then nabs some of Miriam's blood off the wall and Tasia looks at it and goes, um, hey, what are you doing with that there? Don't you know that blood magic is bad? And uh, Rez basically goes, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep going. And she says, if she finds any evidence That uh, he was using blood magic. She'll report him to the divine. Meanwhile, Lackland feels very strongly that they're missing something. And Roland kind of talks him down a little bit. Miriam also gets involved and says, look, if you want to go away, if you want to leave, I don't blame you. But look, let's just get to a safe place. We can't go anywhere tonight. The city is on lockdown. Quidian says, your extremely loud betrayal was wasting too much time, which I loved. Um, Yep. Miriam then uh, uh, pleads everybody to get back to the safe house so they can regroup and escape the city. Roland tells Lachlan to trust him. If not anyone else, trust him. Again, putting a pin in that for later. Meanwhile, <laughs> Razarin pacifies the dragon and then gets to doing his blood magic. Because, of course, he was going to do blood magic all along. This is what- going to get down with the blood
1: magic. Get up. Come on. Get down with the blood magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: i'm so sorry listen it was really disturbed um Amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure what type of. I, I, I know the spell that uh that, that Rez is using here to stop the healing process, but I could not find it online. And I know that I have seen um uh, uh Darkspawn emissaries do this specific spell in Dragon Age Origins, and it's a blood magic spell that they use that specifically stops your team from healing. And I don't know what it is. I couldn't I know find it what online. What you're talking
1: about? It's the exactly most what you're
0: talking about. It's the most obnoxious thing in Dragon Age Origins is. is when the damn uh, or no, it's like it's like Genlock alphas do this when they mm. they they cast the spell on you and you can't heal. It's the worst. Yeah. I can't find it, but we'll we'll figure that out. And I we'll know come what back you're talking about, though. Yeah, but yeah. that's what Rosarin is basically doing here. The team is trying to bring uh, Miriam back to health and she's being stopped by magical means. It's blood magic. Uh, Miriam then goes into a dream and she dreams of being cute and gay with Hira. and then the dream yeah. gets yeah and we're all about that and then it gets really super dark and a rage demon pops out and there's fire all over the place Miriam runs and encounters Razarin in the dream who is actually the real Razarin. He says he's trying to use the circulum to resurrect Neb and tries to convince Miriam to come back to him. And this entire thing, this at this point in the series is where you start seeing Razarin be who he actually is, which is a gaslighting asshole. But one of the things that he tells her is, we were happier back then. You see scenes of young children running and playing and laughing and being happy. And Miriam goes... Uh, no, that's, you remember this very differently than I do, and then you start seeing some scenes of the abuse that she had to go through under the hands of Rez's mother. Um, and then we see what really happened to Neb, which is Rez trying to summon a demon, losing control, and then his mother intervening and sending the demon into Neb. Miri is like, I ain't having this. What are you doing? You're killing my brother. Stabs and kills the mom, and then Neb attacks her. She kills Neb, and then Rez goes, what have you done? Because he's a gaslighting asshole. And she takes off running, and she escapes. This is, at this point in the dream, Rez starts revealing what he wants. He wants to be the next Tevinter Divine. He wants Miriam and Neb at his side, and he wants to rule Tevinter. And he says, "You can have it all if you join me." And she says, "No." <laughs> yeah. She's like, "Get fucked, me." <laughs> no, she goes, "Uh, go fuck yourself." Yeah. So, uh, he then gets angry because this is the this is what a gaslighter does. Is if you don't give in to whatever it is that they're saying, they immediately get really upset. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any baggage here. Um, <laughs>
1: I was going to like, you right, mate? You, you're processing some <laughs> stuff over
0: there? Rez gets really angry and he st- he tells her that uh, Hira is alive and he'll gladly exchange the circulum for quote, that woman you so irrationally desire because he's straight and of course he wouldn't know. Um, He removes the blood magic curse, Miri wakes up and she tells her friends everything and they hatch a plan to go and save Hira.
1: That boy is straight but he obsesses over Neb an un healthy amount i'm just saying yeah right
0: yeah <laughs> but he's that straight on thin ice let's just <laughs> well,
1: he's on he's on thin ice you're not supposed to like res, unfortunately he is supposed to be the antagonist of this whole thing just um a quick um couple of things um he was doing his harrowing so like uh, when mages come of age they go through their harrowing where they go into the fade and do their little test um thing and if they survive it then Hooray! A whole life of Templars watching over you, unless you're into Vintermibi. Uh, and if you don't survive it, then one less mage to worry about, I guess. But that's what was happening. So, like, Re- uh, Rez was in the middle of his harrowing. It wasn't going well. And Mama Dearest was like, Oh no, my boy will be possessed by a demon or something. So in order to, like, save Rez, she took Neb and transferred... I think what happened was she transferred the demon over to him. Mm -hmm. So by the time that Miriam killed uh, Rez's mum, the demon or the spirit or whatever was possessing Neb and then attacked her. So she, in self-defense, killed her brother. And then that's when... Rez came out of his harrowing and saw all of the carnage so from his point of view maybe not to just to play devil's advocate or anything from his point of view he just comes out of his harrowing and everyone but miriam is dead and he's like miriam what the fuck i left for like five minutes and you've murdered everyone like what happened he lets her leave i'm pretty sure to like um protect her
0: mm-hmm. i think that might be the case uh i don't God it's been so long since I have played he's Dragon Age. He's still an Origins. asshole
1: though. I just I just want to say that he's still an asshole. I'm not defending him. <laughs> I didn't pick up on
0: on that that was this harrowing and I think it was more that I it, it's been so long since I've played Dragon Age Origins and specifically the mage origin where you go through that process that I, I don't, didn't remember but yeah no that thank you. Yeah that's that's, that's a, an yeah. extremely important part of uh, of being a magic user in this uh
1: in uh in Thetis, so he, he was failing his harrowing mm-hmm. so in order to save him um his mom sacrificed Neb now we we spoke very quickly about how um Rez is trying to bring his family back um and but his family in his head um he's trying to bring back his brother and his sister mm-hmm. um and I'm using uh, inverted fingers quotes other and sister in that they're not really siblings but um never once tries to bring back his mom Mm-mm. never once nope. not once um and he never like he he puts a spirit in neb's corpse essentially to i don't know keep him fresh or something just keep him ticking over until he can res him back from life didn't do that with his mom though he, do that Until with his mom. he can res him back to life isn't it interesting yeah yeah, oh, his name is Rez. <laughs> there are so many little
0: little details like this in this series. Like we we picked up on the last time that Sapphira, her name actually has the the word sapphic as the uh in in the title and she's obviously a very queer character. We have the 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 fact that Rez is trying to resurrect his family uh, his his brother quote unquote brother um uh and and rez is in his uh is in his name there's a there's a lot of little details like that um and a lot more a lot more bizarre and interesting things to come uh in the series so
1: especially with the dream sequence as well it really shows his um uh what's the word i'm looking for like his goal not his goal but like his vision his his intent is Mm -hmm. not to like raise his family because he wants to become divine. And and the, the dream sequence that he shows Miriam is him being divine and Neb and her all, like he's right in his left hand. Mm-hmm. Because that's his vision. It's not about bringing back his family. It's about him obtaining power and having two bodyguards that he knows he can swear will protect him. That's all he wants. But trying to convince her, like, oh, it's about family. It's about we, we, we were family. Do you know what I mean? Even though like their perspectives are completely different. Mm-hmm. His perspective was he had a great childhood. He was raised by people who looked after him, and sh- her childhood was abuse. And he doesn't ever acknowledge that or accept it. And and it really, 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 really shows, especially when he turns, mm-hmm. and he says, "You, you get me that artifact back, or I will hurt." the person that you love not you Mm -hmm. I will hurt the person you love and that was the turning point where he went from could he be just a guy that doesn't know what the fuck's going on to the bad guy and honestly good I don't know if it's if it's the good writing I don't know if like it's just his voice actor because like you could hear the change in the voice as well when he went from come on Miri to Miri I'm gonna fucking hurt the person that you love, do you know what I mean? And honestly for me, it was a brilliant moment. I loved that switch in in
0: um, Shout out to uh Josh Keaton, the voice actor of Razarin, because he might yep. not look like Matt Mercer, but he's a uh uh he was incredible, incredible as Razarin as a um, as a villain in this uh in this series. I hated Razarin.
1: <laughs> I love Rosarin, but I love him because he's a good, bad guy. Exactly. Sense. You love to I hate love him. I love good, bad guys. Yes. And he is just such an interesting, because, like, we, do we know how old Rosarin is? He's, he looks really young. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, I mean,
0: he's old enough to be a pretty prominent magister, and mm-hmm. I, I know that he and Miriam and Neb are all around the same age.
1: Mm-hmm. But aside
0: from that, I don't think that we know their.
1: No, I, I don't think we're given like an age. Yeah. But the fact that he's just so—I don't know—he's played so well. It's very he's ambitious. He's got a very clear. It's very ambitious. He's got very clear ambition. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly where he, he, he hes hes going, but where he thinks he's going, he's incredibly delusional. He's incredibly idealistic, and and he's prepared to destroy people that he loves to get what he wants. Or maybe not even he's he's prepared to hurt the people, Do you know what I mean? Like by hurting right. people that they love to get what he wants. And honestly, brilliant bad guy, love him.
0: Yeah, uh, I I love the fact that we are seeing, um, uh, uh, that this villain is specifically showing off just how privileged a lot of people are into Vinter and how that privilege can corrupt you into a kind of delusional narcissism and how you can, how they end up using that as a shield to hide from the terrible things that they are doing. And I don't even think he's, he is so delusional. He does not believe that the things that he is doing are evil. He thinks this is what he is owed. It's not even that he's like, it's not that he's working towards it. He uh, he oh, owe, he's owed this. This is what he is supposed to do. This is what is supposed to happen. And we see that characterization start coming out in the future episodes.
1: I think it makes it really, really, really clear as well why blood magic and raising the dead and all of that is so prominent in Winter, because um, just how much of a lack of um, regard that he has for not just like like just like life in general yeah so um all of his um slaves are his property um, even though they are lives and then he just like what sacrifices a blood of like um of, of, of like his soldiers, like the blood of his soldiers to like cast spells and just it's just it 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 makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that that kind of lack of respect for, for life uh, regarding the slaves would then lead to the lack of respect that leads on to blood magic and, and, and using life um to replace life and to raise life and to do you know what I mean? Like it just seems like something that I hope Dia Papadorian is going to address at some point in the future yeah. when he goes back and tries to make Tevinter better.
0: Hopefully. Um, I think it actually really uh uh goes to show just how blood magic can corrupt a person, too. Um mm-hmm. and we'll we'll get to this in the future, but it appears that Razarin was not always this uh not I wouldn't say necessarily ambitious, but perhaps the word is ambitious. Um or at least is more manipulative than he was letting on um in the beginning of the season, so um that brings us to episode five: An altar of fire dun, dun, dun. We open on Razarin standing over Neb's dead body, saying that he wants to make them, quote, a family again, no matter what it takes. Miriam then narrates to uh, to her group about how much Neb means to her while we see Hira bound being led to the cell. Hira was the one who found Miriam after she fled Razarin for the first time. She showed me what love is. Very cute. Um, But it didn't last. Hira went to the Inquisition. Miriam went off on her own. We hear Miriam say, I'm not running anymore. And Miri says she has a plan. Quidian uh, hugs her. It's super adorable. Lachlan says to do what Hira told them to do. Leave her. Take the artifact to Kirkwall. Quidian goes, wait a minute, wasn't? We weren't supposed to take it to Kirkwall. Fairbanks said that we had to take it to Orlais. Miriam goes, well, hold on. Fairbanks is a traitor and an asshole, and he was manipulating us this whole time because that's what Hera had. That's what Hera had basically told her, and she trusts Hera. Something weird is going on here, and we're not quite sure what. Roland says instead, how about we just take it to Skyhold? Because, I mean, that's where the Inquisition is, and we might as well just take it right to the people who wanted to get it in the first place. Lachlan goes, what are you talking about? You never take the artifact to your direct buyer. That's the best way, the fastest way to lose your payment. Miriam doesn't really care. She just wants to go and save Hera. Everyone eventually agrees to go help Miriam, and she lays out the plan. Meanwhile, Tasia, interrogating Hera... But Hira's not really budging. Tasia says she knows that Hira is actually a member of the Taventer Imperium because she is wearing a necklace with the crest of a family from North Tavinter. Hira says that artifact is the thing that she needs to make sure, quote, all of Tevinter will burn. You remember, we heard that in episode two when the Spirit of Wisdom says, I know someone else who wants the artifact, and if they get it, all of Taventer will burn. Hira's yep. family... Was wiped out by the Venatori, and Cass says, "No, the Venatori are traitors and monsters." And Hera goes, "Yeah, it's hard to believe that when there are Venatori literally everywhere in the Taventer Imperium." Tass says that she is a part of the faction that is trying to rid Taventer of their influence, but you know, Hera's like, "I mean, come on, though—they're still everywhere, and the the uh, Venatori aren't just the only people in Taventer that are doing evil." Everyone is complicit in the hell that they have done to uh to subjugate elves and other people within the Imperium. Rez then walks in, he dismisses Tasia. Rez says, I'm not a violent man, and then he does violence. That's just kind of how he does. <laughs> I'm not a violent man, then does a violence. He, and then he just, <laughs> well, here I go, violencing again. He really is the oh, worst. No. He's awful. Um <laughs> So he says he knows that Miriam is coming. He gives Neb a small package and a spell, and he has the order to bring her to Rez by any means necessary. Miriam is then, uh, we see her surrendering herself at the front gates. She's wearing a big cloak, a big green cloak. Neb arrives and stands next to Tassia, and Tassia says, yeah, Rez has kind of changed over the years. I don't know what it is about that artifact, but I think it's changed him. Counterpoint, I don't think it's the artifact. I think it's all the blood magic he's been doing that's neither here nor there (laughs) could be she then realizes Miriam is alone hey wait a minute where's everyone else and that is super sus meanwhile the others (laughs) are breaking in and Lackland says this is one of my favorite moments in this entire episode I've been thinking rolls yes when we get out of this yes we should ask for a bigger cut and then Roland goes really dejectedly Yes, (laughs) (laughs) that's coming up later. Quidiam then sets off uh, an explosion and Tassia runs off to investigate. Miriam then kills a guard and reveals that her cloak is full of daggers. And then we get an awesome scene where she starts killing
1: a bunch of guards with ease. She sets off a smoke bomb, kills them within the smoke. People were complaining about how OP she is. And quite frankly, I think, calm down. If this was like a literal D&D game, you know fine well that that's what the rogue would be doing. Like I would like to roll for uh, why are taking five guards' head off, please. That's a natural 20. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this I saw an awful lot of people just complaining about her abilities, and I'm like, calm down. It's a cartoon.
0: Don't worry about it. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that within the system of the games, she is already significantly higher level than most of the other people that she is going up against. She's going up against a bunch of, like, level 1 and level 2, and she's, like, level 11, level 12. Like, she is already extremely strong and we've already seen that going into um uh we've already seen that in other episodes where she just lays waste to all of these guards because she is an extremely well trained assassin somebody who was raised from birth to be an extremely well trained (laughs) assassin a killing machine
1: and she was trained under such extreme circumstances like it was Mm -hmm. literally um fight or die and now that's how she fights. She literally has like this is her it's been established that she has been trained to be this good. So I don't understand why why people had a problem with this. But honestly that that scene with the cloak and all of the knives, loved it. Oh, it's
0: beautiful. It's very crit roll dagger dagger dagger.
1: Dagger dagger dagger. Mm-hmm. Love you, Vaxeldon <laughs> I've got his dice set literally up here. I can reach up and <laughs>
0: ah yes she then turns and after all the guards are dead she faces down against neb he tosses down the shackles towards her and she goes you're not my brother and then she goes and faces to attack him she as she's rushing at him he leaps into the air and it's this really (laughs) awesome shot where you see it's a really
1: cool shot him
0: floating up in the air above her her rushing up from below and then we cut back to the cell razarin can't believe Mary is resisting. How could she do this when she knows all I want is what's best for her? Um, Kira says, you really think that she trusts you after all of this? Then we cut back to Lachlan and Roland, who are facing off against Tassia and a group of guards. Uh, and as they're doing that, Quidian sneaks right past them. It's great. Then we're back to into the uh, into the fight with Miri and Neb. Uh, she knocks Neb down. He holds out his hand. It looks like he's trying to caress her face, but we know he's got a spell in that hand that's going to go off in her face. And then it does. Chekhov's
1: magic hand, I guess we're going to call that. He's like, he's just, a, I, I keep going back to Dungeons and Dragons, but he's like a shield guardian. Yeah. So like, um you can store a spell in a shield guardian and a shield guardian acts as like your bodyguard it mm-hmm. takes damage for you and stuff like that so I was like oh my god hey. you know like in friends where it's like he's her lobster I was like oh my god he's a shield guardian that's adorable <laughs> yeah I was gunning for these two being in love I don't think I, I would I would love for there to have been like this kind of like under um kind of like the table kind of like Rez is in love with Neb type thing as well as with Tassie, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and he's kind of like struggling with it or fighting with it. I, I was I was gunning for a little bit of flavor on that, but it's okay that we didn't get it. It's fine. Yeah,
0: yeah. And honestly, I think having another queer villain uh, would just be a. Th- it's a thing that like Bioware has said in the past. They don't like to do. They want their villains to be straight, um, because we've had so much. Uh, this is something Patrick Weeks actually brought up when it came to um, the the possibility of Solace being queer. Uh, yeah. They basically were like, "Look, we have." this trope called the depraved bisexual they specifically said like we're trying to avoid this trope because we don't need more queer coded villains and we don't need more queer villains we we need better representation in games
1: yeah disney we're looking at you please stop that with your queer coded villains Mm -hmm. although thank you for scar he's an icon (laughs) (laughs) here's what i'll say about that queer coded villains Some of them are iconic. The problem lies in equality. Yes. Having like having the only queer in the whole of your franchise be the bad guy that's a problem if the good guys are queer and the bad guys are queer if the good guys are straight and the bad guys are straight that's fucking equality i i I don't think that there's a problem with that please correct me if i'm wrong however i do appreciate because we don't have that yet and in a world where we don't have that equality for people to stay away from that trope and not just queer code they're bad guys in defense of the queer community that i fucking appreciate so thank you very much thank you very much patrick weeks for that i i do appreciate stuff like that but equality mm-hmm. let's go let's make everybody queer Let's make everybody straight. Let's make everybody everything. It's all about equality.
0: Yes. The more representation we get, the less important it will be for these tropes to show up in media.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: So then we cut back to Quiddian, who's running around uh, where all of the elven slaves were that she saved before. And she runs into a little elf boy and she turns to him and goes, you're not going to tell anyone I'm here, are you? And he shakes his little head and she goes, oh, look at you making good choices. Love the scene. Quidian icon. Love you. You're amazing. Uh, Roland is dancing around Tassia. She disarms him. And then Lachlan immediately comes over and rams into her and rescues his boyfriend. Um, she then immediately. Boyfriend. Yeah. Boyfriends. We're all about the
1: boyfriends, boyfriend. My so. friend. Boyfriend!
0: She then manages <laughs> to get Roland disarmed and Lachlan immediately gives up. Uh, and just as she's starting to ask questions, she goes, wait where's the kunari
1: <laughs> yeah wait where's the kunari nice segue yeah, uh-huh. we segue to the kunari <laughs> yeah
0: and then you see Quiddian breaking the floor setting off an explosion and then she falls through the floor what is she doing we don't know but we're gonna find out soon tassia hears that boom and goes running off lachlan turns to roland and go goes come on you got longer legs than me and roland goes off and runs Uh, then we have Rez pulling Hira down a hall while Miri is being dragged by Neb. Interesting dichotomy there. Uh, then Miri, uh, uh, breaks free. They tumble down the stairs. And then I made note of this just because I thought it was kind of a cool shot. It's really gross. You kind of see down the stairway that, um, Miriam and Neb had fallen down. You see their blood, uh, her blood, bright red, and his blood very dark, almost brown, going down the stairs, showing just mm. how much he has decayed and how long mm. it's been that he has been dead in this body, and how it oh it's awful,
1: absolutely yeah, awful, deli- but if yeah. that's deliberate, it's a very nice touch, yeah, attention to detail,
0: uh, so quidian was breaking the
1: dragon free. <laughs>
0: that's what she was doing. <laughs> Yeah, everyone turns to look as we hear an explosion again. Rocks are flying everywhere. The dragon roars um, and then Miriam picks up a stray sword and puts Neb out of his misery, crying as she does it and uh, releasing the demon. We see the demon dissipate off in the distance. Then a massive crowd of slaves comes running out of the temple as the dragon starts roaring again. Um, Miriam moves to save that little girl from earlier in the season and Miriam tells her, No one ever saves us, so we save us. The dragon roars, end of the episode.
1: What? Cool, action-packed. So we save us. Ah, it's so good. How do you feel about no one ever saves us, so we save us? It's, It's an extremely powerful statement
0: from someone who has been persecuted her whole life. Um mm. and it's also really sad because it's indicative of how alone she feels. And especially when she first meets that elf girl in the uh, earlier in the season, I believe it was episode two. Um yep. she turns away and lets the little girl be hurt by the um um by the Tevinter person the, that had kind of cook, yes. cook. Yeah. It's uh So it's it's a growth for Miriam because she originally wasn't really thinking about the plight of the other elves in her um, Mm -hmm. uh, in Nessum. But now she's seeing and she's realizing how much
1: more she could be doing. Um, I agree. I, I think it's a turning point for Miriam, honestly, because like she started off at the beginning, like you say, with her being like, no one ever saves us. The end. Mm-hmm. Now she's, it's 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 taking a turn for her now in that no one's ever going to save us. Fine, I'll save us. And mm-hmm. it's now that she's becoming react. She's gone from reactive to um proactive, which I think is a really good turning point for her character. So I'm excited to see if they carry that over into the next season. If we get a next season, I'm really hoping that we do get a next season because of the way episode six ends off. <sighs> Here we go. Here we go, lads. I've been waiting for this moment. Here we go. Episode six. Oh
0: my God. This is like one of my favorite episodes of animation. Uh, uh,
1: any kind of
0: like, Oh my God. I love this episode. Let's get going. Right, Okay.
1: We're going to talk about each point as it comes up so that we don't miss anything. And I don't forget anything. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Episode six, the price of salvation. Hero wakes up to the
0: sound of a dragon roaring in the distance. Rez is passed out on the ground nearby. The dragon breaks out of the temple, spewing fire all over the place. Hira opens her shackles, picks up a staff, and takes off running. Lachlan sees her running away and goes, Hira, wait! And she just bamps right the hell out of the temple. And he's like, "Uh, What? (laughs) He and Roland go find the others. Miriam finally runs into Quiddian, thanking the maker that the dragon didn't kill her. Quiddian then goes, They're not mindless murder machines. We then get a short flashback of the dragon roaring at her, pausing and turning away. And she says,
1: if anything, I think we really bonded. Which is fantastic because they're touching on the whole Kunari dragon connection, which has been building up for ages now. It was touched on with Bull in Inquisition, and now they are almost practically confirming that there is a direct connection. Like we all suspected it. Mm -hmm. They're basically dragon people with the horns and stuff. So, with, like, Bull talks about it in Inquisition, like maybe um, some blood was mixed in with their with with their genes, like eight like ancient, ancients ago, mm-hmm. and it made them half dragon, half whatever. So, I'm really, really, really looking forward to seeing where the Kunari dragon um, storyline goes and how, because I I always thought, can you imagine being an ancient elf and you're thinking to yourself, my God. My rival is stronger than me. However, will I be stronger than him? I know. What if I got myself a dragon? And then you go and try and get yourself a dragon. Dragon's too strong. You come home and you go, that's too hard. I know. What if I made dragons? Slave, come here. And you get like a slave over. And you're just like, here, drink this dragon blood and become part dragon. Reavers are born. But as that happens over time, then all of a sudden, like magic, I don't know, the ancient elf is like pff, there you go a little bit of magic and now you're part dragon and that's how the canary are made and now we're all sat at home like what <laughs> do you know what I mean like what if that is what happened that's actually really I'm interesting. excited. yeah so um
0: one of the things that uh so I got this for uh for the holidays and I don't nice. remember it is the uh the world of Thetis volume one I also have volume two I haven't picked through uh them too much I need
1: to get I need to get these books. There are so many um, concept art and, and concept ideas and things in these books that people keep telling me about whenever I talk about my theories and things. And I'm like, I need these books to see what is going on because apparently there's some really good stuff in here.
0: There's some fascinating lore stuff. And in fact, there was an entire section on the Kunari, and it's specifically about how the Kunari are not all. They don't all look like that. Which we learn in Dragon Age 2 is that Kunari mm. is uh, is literally just somebody who follows the Cune. Um but there's That's the right. actual the actual race is called the Oh my gosh, where is it? The
1: Kassif. That's it. Kassif. Yeah. Uh, Bull talks about the Kassif. Yeah. So like um he says like um what what are your what were your oh, I can't remember what the Inquisitor asks, like asks about the Kunari. Uh-huh. And he talks about how it's like a religion, blah, blah, blah. If you follow the kun you are kunari. And then the inquisitor's like, no, 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 what about your people? And he's like, what the people before us? The kasif And he talks about the Cassiv. Um he doesn't know that much about them. Not 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 that much is ever actually like said mm-hmm. about the Cassiv. Um, so who knows? We do know that in
0: Dreadwolf, we are going to have. A Kossuth companion. So yep. perhaps we can ask them some questions about their religion, their uh perhaps maybe uh, 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 their people, where they come from. And the interesting thing is that in uh we know that in Tevinter, they're not really all that well liked. So because there's and, kind of uh, a war going on. So.
1: And. Quidian can do so much. Exactly. Not once is it brought up that Quidian is a Kunari. whilst the whole time that she's into Winter. Also, is it, confir- is it confirmed that we're getting a, a like a, a Kossif, um companion and not just a Kunari? Is that like something that's been said? That is a great question, and honestly, all we have is the. Um...
0: The silhouette, art, right? yeah the art yeah. and the silhouette that they released uh, a couple of months ago and in that silhouette we see a bunch of different races that are that are most likely going to be the companions because they're all standing in a row um and i yeah. believe there's like six or seven people um and there's uh somebody that looks like they could be from uh uh uh, uh you know it's somebody that looks like they're wearing like a giant helmet which we're almost positive is going to be the main character whoever mm-hmm. that is um we've got like a, a person that looks like they're going to be a mage we have a person that looks like they're kossuth and we have a person that looks like they're from um the necropolis and aside from that we don't really know a whole lot about these people we just know that these are rumored to be the companions that we have um in the in the next game so
1: yeah it's probably because everyone's really really excited about the big kunari lady Mm -hmm. um I don't think, because like they've been, they've become the Kunari now. Like when people see them, they're like Kunari, yes. which is where the confusion comes from. Um, the the race isn't the Kunari; it's it's the people who follow the religion that are the Kunari. Um, it just means the follower of the K'un. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if she is Kunari or if um she is not.
0: So either way, be fun. either way, we have a big lady in our party, and that will make we have a happy.
1: lady that's for the gays
0: friends that is for the gays uh so <laughs> the team regroups and then takes off before the dragon can eat them and then quidian goes hey that's a completely unfair assumption and then there's a roar and they all run off and what what is it that uh uh roland says yes well you know what they say better be safe than eaten and then they take off yeah Tassia, yeah, very true. Uh, Tassia and the other guards (laughs) uh, then work to contain the dragon as it rampages through the temple. Rez is crying over Neb's headless body, and then he reattaches his head and heals him up, saying there can be no master without a slave. Oh, I hate him. A slave without a master. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Hate it. And as Mm. he's reattaching uh, uh, Neb's body and using blood magic to do that, binding a demon to Neb, Priest Matt Mercer walks up. And sees all of this go down and says, shocked, Tassia wants you to go and take care of the dragon. Rez goes, huh, I almost forgot about the dragon. Then kills Matt Mercer by Matt Mercer and then uses his blood and the blood of the others nearby to bind the dragon
1: with blood magic. Such disregard for human life in the face of his goals and, yeah. and his vision. He's like, oh, that's right. I have to take care of the dragon stabs. Give me your blood because that's all you are. It's just a component for magic literally kills a guy like blood magic mind controls Mm -hmm. a feckin dragon so it flies over to him it it's
0: such a oh god it's such a like gut-wrenching scene seeing the dragon lay on the ground with its face pointing straight towards him it's so disturbing and like an
1: obedient dog yeah yeah
0: and then you see all of the guards around cheering because he just took down the dragon And Tasia notices all of the corpses around, including the priest that she had sent as a um, as an envoy to go and tell him something. She covers her mouth in horror, realizing what the hell is going on and starts trying to walk away. Another guard comes up to her and goes, Captain, where are you going? We need to tend to the wounded. And she goes. Right, I have duties to take care of. I can't break down now. Let's go and take care of the the things that we need to take care of. So then she goes and tends uh, to the wounded. Hira then gets back to the hideout and fruitlessly calls for her friends. It's like she's not really calling for them because she knows knows they're not there.
1: She's just checking to make sure that everything's empty.
0: Yeah, so then she starts ransacking the place, looking for the circulum, and then finds it under the rug, under a, uh, a loose floor block thing. Running out of the hideout, she runs into the rest of the team. They all see the ransacked room and go, Huh, what you got there, Hera?" And she goes, What you doing there, Hira? A smoothie. No, it's the <laughs> circular Infinitus. Uh,
1: so... <laughs> a smoothie! <laughs> that smoothie definitely looks like the Circulum Infinitus, though. No, it's definitely Strawberry Smoothie. <laughs> it's definitely not a Blood Magic Smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Uh I hack up a lung. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Miriam then asks uh, her and se- uh, asks her for the circulum to confirm her suspicions, and sure enough, she confirms it. Hira was the one that killed Fairbanks. Everybody kind of realizes it. Hira tries to run away. Quidian puts up some fire behind her, stops her in her tracks. Hira starts spilling some of the beans she talks about the venatori leaving the inquisition. We see a great shot of Skyhold and Liliana. Hera was disappointed that the inquisition wasn't going to go and start tearing down Taventer because as Liliana would probably tell her, you know, going to war with Taventer would be a terrible idea. A lot of people would die. Specifically the verbiage that she uses that really pisses off Hera is there will be lots of collateral damage, which Look, even Liliana at her bloodthirstiest realizes that's a little too much
1: death. And I mean, like, Liliana, it, she has, like, her spies and stuff. That's not an army. Like, even the Inquisition as an army, which is disbanded, might I remind you, hero, is not big enough to go against the entire Tevinter Imperium you're all going to die. <laughs>
0: it's a big-ass country. It's not like it's a small place. It's not like one or two cities. No, it is a giant, like, half of the continent is what the Tevinter Imperium is. It's huge. And it's not
1: even like it's a huge country filled with farmers. No, it's literally bloodthirsty mages that can raise the dead. So not only do you have the entire population of Tevinter, but you have the entire population of all the corpses that they can muster out of all of their fucking graveyards or whatever as well and what if they just popped over i don't know to Navarra or antiva and be like terribly sorry but can we borrow your corpses as well like do you know what i mean like
0: (laughs) we're just gonna take them out for a little stroll if you don't mind i'm
1: gonna stretch their legs and go to war with the inquisition why not it'll take five minutes they'll be out of their graves five minutes there you go the inquisition's dead we'll we'll send them back now that's what what would happen
0: (laughs) Good Lord, it's like, and, and, you know, we understand, like, you know, hera has got some baggage here. The Tevinter, uh, the Venatori specifically killed her family, burned her father in front of her. It's, it's awful what they did. Yeah, it's horrible, yes. But at the same time, she is blinded. By that revenge, and we start realizing the extent to which she is blinded by that revenge because she went to someone else who would help her in her goals, which is, as she reveals, the Crimson Knight. Put a pin Put in down. that.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 oh. Hyperventilating, hyperventilating.
0: lore, lore, lore. So they plan to turn the Magisters against Taventer. That's the whole plan. And then burn it to the ground and, quote, salt the earth. They need the circulum to do that. So she offered a deal with Razarin. She reached out to him and said, hey, could you do me a favor and move the circulum to this palace? And, uh, you know, maybe agree to have it stolen. And don't worry, we're only going to we're going to take it for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, you can just bungle the investigation. Yeah, it'll make you look a little bad, but you'll get what you want. What does he want? Miriam. That's that's all he was so
1: simple as that. Yeah.
0: Uh. So the dragon then attacks everyone with Rez and Neb in its little
1: hand. Um. All right. Hold on. Put. I have to. I just have to interject here. See the scene where the dragon flies in mm-hmm. with Rez and Neb in his hand and they're not affected by air pressure or air movement or anything whatsoever. Hate that. Hate that trope. Stop that now. <laughs> that's not how physics works. I mean, he the dragon a- needs to be holding them. Or they need to be like, whoa, it's kind of windy up here. Turbulence. Do you know what I mean? Like, stop that now. (laughs) With
0: magic, all things are possible, Ed. (laughs)
1: I'm not prepared to suspend my disbelief.
0: (laughs) Listen, there's a giant dragon. It's flying all over the place. These people are hucking fireballs and and laser bolts at each other.
1: All of that makes sense in the context. But them carrying that those two guys in that dragon's fucking hand and they're standing there perfectly steady as if there's no wind that can fuck off (laughs) (laughs) miriam can leap 30 feet up
0: into the air and land like nothing is wrong but we draw the line at aerial physics
1: (laughs) exactly thank you i'm glad you understand me (laughs) (laughs) Oh god (laughs) Miriam then
0: stops And surrenders with the circulum In exchange for all of her friends lives Quidian then says "Ah, But it doesn't make sense High dragons are wild animals They can't be trained Unless And then she realizes What the hell is going on and hatches a plan. Then we get more and gaslighting. You know, he uh, nabs everyone's blood around them, uh, starts this whole ritual thing with a circulum infinitus. Roland starts laying out the plan and then Lachlan fucking kisses him and the gays go wild. Yeah. Hell yes. Yeah, boy!
1: Wee, be, 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 the gays boo.
0: fabulous it's an amazing scene um, it's all this build up for this one moment and I I had this thought that Quiddian is like all of the straight fans watching this not picking up on all of the gay subtext between Roland and Lachlan and just like what I didn't see that coming because she didn't see that coming but all of us who know about the gay subtext and all of the games and all the properties if you're queer You know, these two have been flirting this entire time and it's finally paid off. It's brilliant. I love it. Oh, God. Great scene. And then Lachlan says, well, you know, we're all going to die anyway. So
1: I love that he's a dwarf right up until the end. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so good. It's just so I love Lachlan, honestly. And I saw an awful lot of people being like, ooh, woke, ooh, gay, ooh, shut up. It has been gay since Origins. It has Mm -hmm. been gay since production. It has always been gay. This isn't new information for the Dragon Age franchise. (laughs) Dragon Age has always been gay.
0: Like literally the main architect of the entirety of the Dragon Age setting is a gay man like come on (laughs) (laughs) like david gator isn't going to freaking put gays he's he's gonna make these games as gay as goddamn possible like that's that was his whole goal in going into this is to make games that actually had some some inclusive aspects to them some representation Origins came out in 2009, and when it did, it was one of the most inclusive AAA RPGs that had ever existed up until that point. Fabulous, and we love it for that. That's why Bioware has such massive fan bases.
1: Fantastic. Two bisexual characters that you can romance, Zevrin and Liliana. There were some issues with the trans things, but that's been cleared up and covered now, and I bet you anything that if Bioware had an opportunity to remake or remaster Dragon Age Origins, they would take all that shit out without even being asked. Absolutely have complete faith and confidence in that, and it has always been a queer-inclusive game. Always. Always So I saw Came up on my For You page On like um On YouTube earlier And I was just like uh, Get away from me It was like someone being like Dragon Age Absolution is terrible It's going woke Blah 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 And I watched it for like Five minutes Just to see what points They were making They made zero points And you could tell That they had never played the games So I'm like Look shh." Calm down. <laughs> Nothing has changed. It's always been like this. So don't listen to anybody who's like saying that this is it, this is terrible and it's gone woke. There's no such thing. Don't trust anyone who uses the word woke in this context mm-hmm. because it's never good. But the gays have their moment at least. Yeah, we do.
0: And this is another reason why I hope that this series gets a season two, specifically because I know they're going to increase the gay in the season two. Positive representation in media is something that we always need more of and that we have a massive franchise like Dragon Age that has this level of inclusion in it is awesome. And I hope it continues. Absolutely,
1: I hope it does too.
0: So then we see this moment where Rez realizes that he needs more blood. So what does he do? He stabs the dragon in the neck. Oh, it's a gross scene where you see all of this blood circulating around the circulum and it opens up and then
1: Neb's spirit rises out of it. This is a detail that I don't know if they did on purpose. but When I saw it, I was like, because <laughs> you know that my username is Fade Walker. I love the Fade. I'm one of those exceptions to the rule where everyone's like, oh my God, not another Fade level. I will end my life. I'm like, no, please let me do it. I love the Fade. Same, big same. Yes. It's it's why I called myself Fade Walker. Did you notice? Now, like I say, I don't know if they did this on purpose or if it's just me grasping at my knowledge of the Fade. When Neb's spirit came back, it was veiled. Yes. Because he was crossing the veil. <laughs> like, yes! I don't know if that's why they did it or if it's just... Imagery that had no connection to the fade, whatever. And I'm just, like, grasping at straws. But I loved that as his spirit was being pulled through the veil, his spirit was veiled. Mm -hmm. And it was just so... It was so sweet and, and... I like that touch.
0: That was a really nice touch for me. Oh, it's so good. Also, nice touch is when Razarin calls out to the spirit and says, Neb, you've returned, my brother. And Neb kind of side eyes him for a second and then turns and looks right at Miriam. And she goes, Neb, I missed you. And he goes, My sister, I love you so much. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And then he moves towards his empty shell of a body. And Miriam is like, No, don't go in it. And he goes, No, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. He touches the body and it straight up explodes and there's a giant blue spirit explosion. The whole spell dissipates and it's at that moment Roland fires an arrow that just so happens to have Lackland's bomb on it. It explodes. There's a big explosion. Everybody falls to the ground. And then the spirit of Neb turns and dissipates. And it's
1: just this really cool, like, my time here is done and he's gone. I wonder, because it is canon now, now that we've spoken to Solus and now that we've spoken to Cole, we know for a fact that if spirits are pulled through the veil against their will, they corrupt. Mm -hmm. So, like, in order for a spirit to keep its form and to keep its, Mm -hmm. its, its own purpose and self... Crossing the veil, it has to have enough of itself already solidified, like what Cole did. Cole became flesh, essentially, depending on what what um, route you take with him, obviously. But he didn't corrupt when he crossed into the waking world. And I wonder, because Neb didn't corrupt, he was pulled through, but he didn't corrupt. And I don't know if it's because the circulum prevents the corruption, it's part of the circulum's power... Or if he just wanted to help. And that's why he didn't corrupt. So he had enough of himself focused so that when he did cross over, he was still himself. And that's when he was like, don't worry, it's going to be okay." And he's like, I'm going to blow the fuck out of my corporeal form. Um, and, And did it of his own volition. I do think that it's really interesting that he was
0: able to take his old body and just let it go and let it dissipate because it was so decomposed and rotting. And yeah, it's probably possible that you can take a willing spirit out of the fade using the circulum. I kind of got the impression that he came there of his own volition, that he was ready to go mm. and end. He, he had been seeing what was going on with his body. He had been seeing what was going on. I don't know. Maybe he'd been seeing what was going on with Miriam and he wanted to help her in some way. And he'd always wanted to help her, but he didn't have an opportunity to do so. And it wasn't safe to do so. So he used the circulum pulling at him and pulling him out of the veil. And so he went willingly knowing I can stop this. I don't know. It's possible. He is, he is an elf spirit. So I, maybe it is that he, he got knowledge from somewhere else. Maybe there's more knowledge to be had in the fade. Once you pass on, who knows?
1: There is. um, But it's, it's kind of believed that you go, you pass through the fade into the beyond, I think is where dead spirits go. um, Because the fade is very much where spirits live, um, but when it, I think, I, don't get me wrong, I can't remember how the chantry preaches it. I'm not a, tra- a chantry boy, but I think it's that you, you, your spirit passes through the fade into the beyond, mm-hmm. um, uh, and 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 when you're in the fade, obviously your spirit can like converse with actual spirits, and spirits can be like, "Hey, here's some knowledge." Mm-hmm. But um, it's very difficult to tell how death actually works, um, because we don't we don't have that. Um, canonic connection with it yet. But that's what people believe, is that you go through the fade into the beyond. So I just thought it was a lovely touch, especially when he looks over, like when Neb looks over his shoulder as as he dissipates back into the ether, into the beyond. But it just goes to show you, here's the interesting thing, that when people die or supposedly die, their spirits are retrievable. So there must be some element of something going on because... Not only is Neb's spirit in kind of like a, a limbo or something where you can like just summon it back from nowhere, so is somebody else's at the end of this episode as we find out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Put a pin
0: in that. We'll get to it.
1: <laughs> so Rez, after all of this explosion, he gets
0: up. He's he's injured, but he turns and he fights Miriam. He calls her ungrateful. Don't you know I'm only doing what was best for you? And she stabs him in the throat and he finally fucking dies. The crowd hey! goes wild.
1: Um, I miss him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Miriam then calls on Quidian to handle the dragon and then, uh, Quidian walks up and it's just this beautiful moment where she goes, well, that's the thing that everybody forgets about dragons. They're not monsters or gods. They're just alive like us. And she heals it. It looks at her. It's got fire in its mouth. And then it kind of goes, nah. I just want to fly. And so it gets up and it flies away. And sure enough, that's what Quidian says. She goes, I just know that if I was held captive for a thousand years, first thing I'd want to do is go flying. And Lachlan goes, you know, that thing is going to rampage the countryside, right? And Roland kind of goes, eh.
1: (laughs) We'll deal with that when when, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But for now, Godspeed, dragon, Godspeed. Hero wakes up and Miriam pleads
0: with her to come with them. And then... We find out that that thing that was that she was pleading to was actually just a secondary image of Hira as Hira actually appears, knocks everyone out, takes the circulum and disappears. And then Miri and the team turn and goes, we need to go and stop her before it gets to the Crimson Knight.
1: So I have a question. OK. When we see um, Tasia. Um, like holding Rez's dead body and you see like the resolve in her eyes obviously she's out for the revenge of the man that she loves the death of the man that she loves mm-hmm. do you think there's a possibility that she'll use the Circulum to try and bring Rez back to Rez Rez if it, if you will that is a really good point I think that we have seen enough
0: evidence in the series so far to suggest that she knows that he has changed too much When she sees the evidence of his blood magic usage, not only like the small amount, like she kind of knew he was doing blood magic, but she was like, I can if he's only doing it to do like a couple of little things, that's fine. But she sees that he actually is actively killing people to use them for his blood magic rituals. I think that in this last episode, we see that she has recognized that he has gone too far and she's Mm -hmm. mourning the death of not just the man she loves, but the death of the person she once knew because he wasn't this far gone. We've also seen in other Dragon Age properties that blood magic has this horrible side effect of corrupting the people that use it um, yep. in really horrific ways. We see Orsino basically turn into a giant demon monster thing in Dragon Age 2. But- Reason. for no reason just because he's using blood magic um yeah and we see we see blood mages all over the series so many blood mages in kirkwall holy hell just uh, there's a reason for that though there's a reason for that there's lore for that
1: there's which we can get into in Oh, there's we'll get more that. for that.
0: Okay. And then we see, yeah, we see Hira on horseback racing, racing away. And then a shot of the outside of Kirkwall. Ooh. There's a giant storm raging. A red We're Templar not- walks up to a giant dais and starts relaying. With Matthew
1: Mercer's voice.
0: With Matthew Mercer's <laughs> voice and says, So Matt Mercer is back thankfully. Uh, and he says, my commander, the, uh, person that is, uh, uh, retrieving the circulum says they are on their way. Do you have any further orders? And suddenly the giant lyrium crystal begins to speak. In the voice of Knight Commander Meredith, the crystal says, I will have my war credits.
1: Dun, dun, dun! Fucking Meredith is back!
0: If I had a nickel for every antagonist That Hawk supposedly killed and then came back to haunt us. I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. It's weird that it
1: happened twice. (laughs) (laughs) Hawk, goddamn, check your kills. Goddamn. Now, Meredith, here we go.
0: (laughs) And here we are. So we know Knight Commander Meredith wants the Circulum Infinitus, and based on the context clues that we have seen throughout the course of the last couple of episodes, what she wants is she wants that Circulum Infinitus so she could use the blood magic to get herself back. Hilariously, that means that she is so far corrupted that she is willing to use blood magic to get herself back. Remember in Dragon Age 2? Literally, that's what sent her on this path, was the fact that there were blood mages in Kirkwall that she wanted to destroy including orsino yeah (laughs) but she wants to use blood magic here we are
1: what a loser so not only that, but she's like, I want to go to war with the whole of Tevinter! Is it just because that's where the mages live? And she's like, mages, no! They all live in Tevinter, therefore Tevinter must burn. Which then brings us back to the, the memory spirit that was like, if if the person looking for the circular it gets it, then all of Tevinter will burn. It's not actually Hira; it's Meredith. Mm-hmm. So here we are full circle, now with all of the information that we have thus far, and I'm just sat here like, Meredith, really? I didn't see it coming. I honestly didn't see Meredith coming.
0: I didn't either. As soon as it happened. Uh, well, so when we when we saw this the first time, I've now watched the series like three times. Um, but when we watched it the first time, my partner turned to me and went, Crimson Knight, that, there's no way that's Meredith. Or maybe it's Samson. I don't know. It, it could be one of them because we know that Samson was holding Meredith's sword in Inquisition. So we were like, hmm, maybe it's something to do with that because- Crimson, obviously the color of red lyrium and is very much associated in the Dragon Age series with red lyrium, which we know corrupts people and corrupts their minds. So we're like, okay, it could be Samson. Maybe it's Meredith. But we saw both of them die. Unless they're making it canon that, you know, in Inquisition, you side with the mages and then take on the Templars. And we know that the series and Bioware in general will go out of their way to not make it known what choices are the canon choices in the series because they don't want to influence how people will play the games in the future. And so here we are. Meredith is here, we here and we and now we know that a major source of conflict going into Dreadwolf is a massive war between Red Templars and the Taventer Imperium. Um, That's two massive conflicts. And we know from Dragon Age games in the past that they really like showing two factions at war and you picking one of those factions to kind of ally with and help out. I'm really hoping That it's not going to be the case that those are the two factions. I kind of really, really hope that it's like Meredith is going to be one of the big threats in the series. We still have the Venatori to deal with in the Tevinter Imperium. We know that they are a faction that has been infiltrating positions of power within the Taventer Imperium that Dorian is going to be fighting against. We also know that we have another faction, which just so happens to be. An Elven Uprising featuring everyone's <sighs> favorite bald dwarf, uh, uh, Solus. So, dwarf. You said bald dwarf. Did I, did a I say dwarf? Elf. Oh my
1: god. You said dwarf. I love you so much. <laughs> oh.
0: Listen, I'm only halfway
1: through Which my is coffee. Which funny. No, which is funny, because I was literally thinking about everybody's favourite not-bald dwarf. Because Varric is the fucking Viscount of Kirkwall. Right. We know because there's a comic coming out that he's currently in the Deep Roads. He and Scout Lace Harding are in the Deep Roads looking for someone. I don't know who yet. One might suspect that they might be looking. for a Grey Warden, maybe. In the Deep Roads. Or who else do you think it could be?
0: I think it could also be Hawk. Um... I, I, it's well, it's possible it's, but i'm thinking it's either going hawk to be if you Hawk in the feet, though right so and because of the way bioware has worked is they don't like confirming specific canon choices yep. now that i'm thinking about it i really don't think it's going to be hawk it's going to be another gray warden that we know that could potentially be in the fade. Now it's possible. It is entirely possible that it is the Hawk sibling. Um, we don't know that, but that is a choice that you have to make in dragon age two. So I don't know if that's necessarily going to be it, but what other gray wardens does Varric know? That's the question.
1: Uh, that is the question because I was like, here's, here's my, I'm reaching cake. This is not the answer. And I'm sure that this is not the answer, but, what if it's your hero for Ferelden? Discuss.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was actually where I was going with that. The thing is, we don't know if I don't if, think
1: it I, I don't think it is, but yeah. wouldn't it be funny if it was?
0: It, it, again, another BioWare uh, staple is they never ever show unless they allow you to customize that character, they will never show your custom character as any of canon character. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, kind of how yeah. they go. What other Grey Wardens do we know? Because we know, no. I mean, the only other one I can think of is Anders. But would Varric be going after Anders? Why would Anders be in the Deep Roads?
1: I think I've sent you down the wrong path. I was just what, i was just putting out, like, the image of, can you imagine if Varric went and found your hero, Ferelden? I don't think that that's what's going to happen. That's the only reason why I said Grey Warden. Mm-hmm. But... Who who else could they be looking for in the deep roads? And um, they could be looking for Sandal. Like, what if Sandal's poking oh gosh, around in the yeah. deep roads? Do you know what I mean? They could be look. I don't know. Like, it could be Bianca. Inga.
0: Yeah, it could be Bianca. That was my that was my immediate thought. Is that it was it was Bianca? He got word that Bianca was in trouble, and so he's going to go and get her out. Um, I hope it's not
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've got the Google Books thing up. It's called <gasps> The Missing. Unless they're looking, they're just looking straight up for Solace. Potentially. Are
0: they just looking for Solace? It's possible. Varric and Lace are seeking a former friend, but what they find along the way is that the corruption of the Blight, a recurring problem throughout the Dragon Age series, has infected the walls, so we've got red lyrium everywhere, and that means Darkspawn could be around any corner, making an already high-stakes mission even more intense. So that's all we know so far. Yeah. Strike everything I said about the hero Ferelden. It's got to be, it's think... got to be either, I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be somebody that that has been in a game with Varric, that has been a part of the main yeah. party. The other person I could think of that it could be, if if it's Lace Harding too. although that that could just mean that they're both working for the Inquisition and they're trying to find someone. Who else do they know yeah. that could help them in this fight? It could be anyone from Dragon Age 2. It could be anyone from Inquisition. The only people that I can think of that it could be from Inquisition is whoever the Grey Warden contact was, but that's a choice. I mean, we could be going in the exact wrong direction. It could be a character from Inquisition that is just a friend of Varric's. Like, for example, maybe it's Iron Bull that's down there for some reason. It could be that maybe freaking Blackwall has finally taken the, uh... uh <laughs> he, has, he has finally uh, decided to become a real Grey Warden for once. Now I'm a real boy! And now he's somewhere down there. I don't know, it could be that. Um, what?
1: what if they're just down there looking for solus like what if solus yeah. is in the deep roads trying to dig up like an arch demon or something trying to what? start the next blight but if he's actively trying to kick off the next blight but the way that the synopsis is is worded it sounds like they're down there looking for an old friend right so it must mean that they suspect that their old friend is already down there hence why they're down there right so unless they've got some intel like, maybe somebody cited Solus going into a deep road entrance or something. They wouldn't know that he would be down there otherwise. So, I'm not sure. I am, I'm going to have to read this because now I'm intrigued. Yeah, same. I, my
0: first thought immediately goes to Anders because he's the only person that's been in hiding. And we know that he has been hiding. And what is, I think Varric says in Inquisition or somebody says in Inquisition. He's holed up in some cave somewhere, right?
1: Oh. <gasps> Are we getting Anders back?
0: I think Wait. we're getting Anders back. That's my my tinfoil hat theory. Because he's not necessarily dead.
1: Vengeance. Well, vengeance. no, because that's, a, because that's a choice in right. Dragon Age 2, to kill him. However, remember, though, that there is also a
0: choice that you can kill Fenris in Dragon Age 2. And Fenris has his own comic post-Dragon Age 2.
1: And I expect to see him because he is into Vinter. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh! Okay, okay, okay. I need to put my tinfoil hat away because there's too much that we could say. So technically, if it is Anders, technically, it is a Grey Warden. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, that's (laughs) where I was going.
1: That's where I was going
0: with that. (laughs) Because because I hope- Anders could be the only Grey Warden that we know that canonically is still kicking around somewhere, aside from the the, the hero of Ferelden, who they're never going to show in any other property aside from a game. No,
1: I just wanted that. That was just me grasping. Yeah. I hope I haven't put you on like the thought process now, because I've mentioned Grey Warden, and I've just put you on that thought process, and you're like, ah! What other Grey Warden? It must be Anders! You know what I mean? Like, but I would honestly love to see Anders come back.
0: Oh my God, what if he gets down there and it's friggin' Alistair,
1: like? (laughs) Just derping around, doing his best. Hello, everyone. All right. How's it going? It's me, Alistair. Remember me? That
0: actually brings up something else, is that he is canonically in the— Okay, in the comics, at least, Alistair is not a Grey Warden. He is the king of Ferelden. That is, in the comics, he is the king of Ferelden. So that is a choice that they have kind of, sort of, quote-unquote, made canon. Um Hmm. But uh, we don't know. That's what. That's what the, the, the whole comic series where where it's what is it? It's Veric, Isabella, and uh, Alistair and they're romping mm-hmm. around in um, wherever it is that they are, and they encounter Sten. They go through a whole thing. Um, God, yeah, but that means that Varric also knows uh, knows Alastair. What would Alistair be doing? That I don't even know.
1: <laughs> what would we're they... just gonna have to find out. We're gonna find. We're out. spiraling now. Out. We I know. I know. We're spiraling. Hard. And we're,
0: we're trying to. We're trying to <laughs> grasp at straws. But listen, this is actually something that we are going to be discussing in uh, a future episode of the Fade Cafe. So
1: it absolutely uh, is
0: when this comic comes out, we're we're gonna get it. We're gonna read it. We're gonna analyze it. We're gonna try to break down as much as we can because we are nothing if not gremlins for the Lord. Lore. That's the we lore! we've Let's rolled a natural go. one on our wisdom save and we are just
1: <laughs> hold on hold on hold on
0: oh here we go yep
1: i rolled an 11 oh i rolled a 19 okay not bad well done well done well done i'm pretty average <laughs> you're up there
0: <laughs> it's okay i get a minus two in wisdom anyway so it's
1: <laughs> i'm gonna roll my spade dice rolled another 11 on a different dice rolled with disadvantage is what you did (laughs) i got the same number twice (laughs) oh shit uh
0: something that we're gonna have to do too is uh it was brought to my attention that a lot of the uh the conversations that we have in this podcast are very heavy in terms of prior knowledge of the dragon age series so something that that you and i can do Um, because both of us are like I I wouldn't call us experts but we know a lot about this series we've played the games many Mm -hmm. many times and we kind of know sort of the basics already we know we're like we are like an advanced Dragon Age theory at this point Mm -hmm. Um, so Mm -hmm. let me propose something in the future what Mm -hmm. if we start doing a Dragon Age 101 primer so we start going back to Dragon Age origins and we start breaking down some of the concepts some of the characters some of the major players in this universe as we start building our way towards uh Dragon Age Dreadwolf to kind of paint the picture of what Fates looks like as we move towards the new series that comes out is that something
1: that you would be interested in wait are you saying to me that I can talk about my hyperfixation and all of the lore that I love to dump <laughs> on people Just, yeah i'm down I'm, I'm i'm pretty much down yeah I get an opportunity to talk about all of this. Yes. Yes. Let's absolutely do that. Hell I would Hell love yes. to do
0: that. All right. Well, friends, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to have some more, uh, some more conversations about Dragon Age, which is going to be a little bit more, um, uh, in depth into the lorry bits. So we're going to, we're going to break down some of the concepts, some of the characters, some of the, the, the history, if we can. Um, I do now have the history books, so I can kind of start poking through that and see where we can, uh, what we can find and see where we can apply some of that information. Some of it has been retconned, but look, It happens. It It's as long as we kind of know, we know and we'll we'll throw it out all on the table and we'll uh, we'll make it work.
1: And just a quick reminder that um, we do have a Twitter account. So if you guys are listening to the podcast and you want to uh, get involved in any way and ask us to talk about things or if you have any questions about things that we have spoken about, shoot us a message over on Twitter. Uh, We check it daily and anything that comes up that we uh, would love to answer, we will answer it in a live podcast. Also, just um. Uh, A quick uh, little shout out. Like I say, we have a Twitter. So um, follow us there at The Fade Cafe. And thank you to everybody who is listening to the podcast, who is sharing the podcast. The best way to help support the podcast is word of mouth. So please, um, if you're enjoying it, if you know somebody else who would enjoy it, share it with them. Tell them about it. um, Tell them about the Twitter. Uh, Get involved. We'd love to hear what you guys think about what we're talking about. And we'd love to hear about future topics that you would like us to touch upon exactly
0: thank you so much for listening and remember if you're enjoying this podcast make sure you give us a five-star review and maybe say something nice about us if you want to you don't have to but you can if you'd like if you'd like to comment on like. it on podbean the link is uh is in the description and uh yeah you can find links to all of our social medias there as well yeah we will see you next time friends and remember to
1: come back from more. <laughs>
0: The Fade Cafe is a production of Cafe 3G and Unifade Walker. You can follow Unifade Walker at that handle on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and TikTok. Music and production by Cafe 3G. That's me. You can follow me at Cafe 3G on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe. It is done.